Thanks very much for that, Simon. Good morning, everyone. It's great to add to Simon's welcome. If you have your Bible, please do open with me to Colossians 4, verse 7, as we come to the concluding message of this series. As you know, over the Sunday mornings in the summer, we've been working our, our way through Paul's letter to the Colossians, this letter that he wrote to encourage the Colossian church to press on towards spiritual maturity. We've been considering together along the way what it means in light of this letter to bring our whole lives under the lordship of Jesus Christ. To be, as Paul said in chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, both rooted in Christ, putting our roots down deep into him, and being built up in him. And we've said a number of times as we put our roots down into Christ, the direct consequences we will be built up and established in Christ. This morning now we come, as I said, to the conclusion of the letter, which is made up of four parts. If you look down with me at it there, you'll see in verses 7 to 9, Paul gives a commendation of the men who are delivering the letter to the Colossians. In verses 10 to 14 then, we have the second part, a series of greetings from Paul's fellow workers to the Colossians. The third part is verses 15 to 17. We get a personal greeting from Paul to the Colossians and some final instructions to the church. And then the fourth part of the conclusion is verse 18, Paul's signature and farewell. Now, how do you think about a conclusion like this in one of the New Testament epistles in the Bible? Often this is the sort of thing that we kind of skim over quickly and we think it's not that important. We want to ponder the other stuff more, like chapter 2, verse 15. We want to think on how Christ disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame triumphing over them through the cross. Of course, we want to ponder and enjoy that. But this conclusion to the letter is as much scripture as any other part of the letter. And so we know it's here for a reason. When we slow down in sections of scripture like this and take time to look carefully at what's there, we can discover there are real gems, even in a set of conclusions, greetings, and closing instructions like this. The main thing that this concluding section of Colossians gives us is a fresh vision of what I'm calling the Apostle Paul's kingdom-minded connectedness. That's a bit of a big phrase. This conclusion gives us a clear vision of what we could call kingdom-minded connectedness. And it's something today that I hope, in light of this message, we will go away saying, I want to be more kingdom-minded and connected. This conclusion is like a window that we can look through to see a man in the Apostle Paul with a heart, not just for his own local church, but for the wider church and its mission in the world. 
Why is this vision of kingdom-minded connectedness important for us? Well, let's reflect on it. It is so easy in the modern-day fragmented evangelicalism in which we live, it's so easy for us to become tribal, disconnected from the wider work of God in our city and the world. If we're not careful, we can become a little island, the Great Vic Island. We can be isolated. We can forget that we are part of something that is far bigger than just this little local church. As Baptists, we believe in the independence of the local church, and that's good. But we always want to be Christians with kingdom hearts, kingdom-minded generosity and connectedness. We want to be Baptists who are serious about associating with other like-minded Christians and churches to see the kingdom of God advance. We want to have hearts for the kingdom and not just our own little corner of the vineyard. This closing section of the letter gives us a glimpse into this kingdom-minded connectedness that was so pervasive in the early church, and it calls us to reflect on this question— Are we kingdom-minded Christians? Or have we become a bit too narrow? When we look through this window into the kingdom-minded connectedness of the early church, we see three marks of kingdom-minded connectedness that stand to shape and inspire us. And that's what I want to make the subject of this message. I want us to look and see here three marks of a kingdom-minded Christian. Mark number one. Kingdom-minded Christians have a heart for and appreciation of other people. The way Paul speaks of the 11 people, he mentioned, 11 people he mentions in this conclusion of the letter shows that he was a man with a heart for other people. Look at how he speaks, first of all, of this man, Tychicus, as Paul commends Tychicus's ministry to the Colossians. Verse 1, Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He's a beloved brother, faithful minister, fellow servant in the Lord. We meet this man, Tychicus, in a few places in Scripture. He was a trusted traveling companion with the Apostle Paul in the book of Acts, especially in Paul's third missionary journey. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul says to Timothy that he has sent Tychicus to Ephesus. He doesn't tell us why, but he sent him there. Then, in Titus chapter 3, Paul writes to Titus and says that he's going to send Tychicus to Crete to relieve Titus so that Titus can come out of there for a time. Tychicus seems to be a trusted fellow gospel minister 
The apostle Paul knew he could be relied on and he was dependable. And as Paul commends him to the Colossians in this work of reporting everything that's going on in Paul's ministry to the Colossians, he can't help but speak of Tychicus with such warmth and affection. Look at the language he uses. He's a beloved brother. That means we love Tychicus. He's a faithful minister. He's a fellow servant in the Lord. Then look at how Paul goes on to speak in verse 9 of this other man who's bearing the letter, Onesimus. With him we're sending Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother who is one of you. Now Onesimus has some story in Scripture. Some of you may be familiar with it, but for those who are not, in Paul's letter to Philemon, we learn that Onesimus had been a slave in Philemon's household. Philemon lived in Colossa too. Onesimus had stolen from his master and run away. He was a runaway slave. On the run, he crosses paths with the Apostle Paul. Paul, preaching away at the gospel, has a great impact on this guy, Onesimus. God, through the Spirit, works through the preaching of the gospel from the Apostle Paul, and Onesimus gets saved. And now, Paul sends him back to Colossa with Tychicus. They're carrying the letter to the Colossians, but Onesimus has another letter also, a personal letter for his master, Philemon. And Paul writes a letter to Philemon saying, Philemon, where do you hear what's happened to Onesimus? You've got to receive him back now, no longer as a slave, but as a beloved brother. If he's wronged you, I'll pay it back to you. And that's why in my study this week, I thought, instead of going straight into the book of Daniel, which is what I want to preach next, I think now would be a good time to just take a couple of weeks in Philemon while we're passing by so close. And let's just take a look at that and what Paul says. That's what we're going to do from next week for, for a few weeks, potentially. But look again at how Paul speaks of Onesimus. He doesn't say, you're slave. He says he's a faithful and beloved brother. What a beautiful picture of how the new identity we have in Christ supersedes all other identity markers that we have in our culture. As we continue then through this conclusion into the greeting section, verses 10 to 14, Paul speaks in verse 11 of Aristarchus, Mark, and this man Jesus called Justice, and he says, they have been a comfort to me. There's a lot we could say here, but this is quite striking because the mention of Mark here is John Mark. This is the Mark who deserted Paul in his first missionary journey. This is the Mark who Paul did not want to have accompany him on his second missionary journey because of Mark's unreliability. This is the Mark who Barnabas and Paul parted ways over. Barnabas said, we've got to take Mark, and Paul said no, and they decided to go their separate ways. Here, though, several years after that event, Paul speaks of Mark. It's interesting here. He says, concerning whom you've received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. We don't know what those instructions were. 
I don't even want to speculate, though I'm sort of tempted. Was it something about the fact that you know that apparently he was unreliable, but now we've, he's, he's proved himself, he's demonstrated his worth. Re- receive him, welcome him, don't have suspicion of him, welcome him. We don't know. But we do know in 2 Timothy 4.11, right towards the end of the Apostle Paul's ministry, Paul wrote to Timothy and he said, get Mark, bring him with you when you come to me, for he is very useful to me for ministry. And I think there's something beautiful here. Clearly, Paul had reconciled with Mark, and they continued to work together for the sake of the gospel. Then look at how Paul speaks of Epaphras in verse 12 and 13. Epaphras, who's one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you would stand fully or mature and fully assured in all the will of God, for I bear him witness. He's worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Hierapolis. Imagine that prayer meeting. What prayer meeting? Well, here Paul says, I've heard Epaphras praying for you. And we know who's all gathered together here. We've got Epaphras, we've got Mark, we've got all these guys who Paul's sending greetings to the Colossians from. Luke's there, as we read uh, down in verse 14. Philip, you have some amount of authors of the New Testament, don't you? Paul's there, Mark's there, Luke's there, who wrote Luke and Acts. That's some prayer meeting. <laughs> and Paul's saying here, Epaphras, always turning to pray for you Colossians. He prays that you would mature, that you would stand fully assured in the will of God, and then he does the same for the church in Laodicea and the church in Hierapolis. Imagine it, they're all praying, they're praying for the churches, they're praying for the church plants, they're praying for maturity for Christians, all the things that they've been praying in this letter. And Paul just notices Epaphras and his heart for the Colossians, because as we understood from the first chapter of this letter, Paul had heard from Epaphras how the gospel had taken shape and got rooted in among the Colossians. It was probably Epaphras who had been the leading church planter in Colossae, probably also in Laodicea and Hierapolis. His heart is with these little church plants in different cities, and he just keeps praying and praying and praying for them. See that word there? He's struggling on your behalf. It's it's a word that sounds like the word for agonizing. Sometimes you'll you'll hear people say, he's wrestling in prayer constantly for you. And you might remember how last week we were considering one of the mature marks of of a faithful church is a church that continues steadfastly in prayer. Well, here is Epaphras who is steadfastly wrestling in prayer for the Colossians. And again, I just can't help but imagine those men together with others, men and women gathered together to pray praying for the local churches in different cities for the kingdom to advance, not in any way narrow-minded or tribalistic or isolationist, but a heart for the kingdom. And their prayers reflected that. Paul models for us here a beautiful heart for people and an appreciation of their work for the Lord. There's a beautiful balance in the Apostle Paul's life and ministry. It's a tragedy today that in many circles, 
those who would be considered orthodox deep theologians. Sometimes they're not known for being the greatest lovers of people. It's also a tragedy that those who are considered the greatest lovers of people sometimes seem to think they need to get rid of theology and truth to be able to love people truly. And they say, you couldn't love someone truly if you're not just accepting of everything about them. Well, we want to have a balance, a balance that we see in the Apostle Paul's ministry. He was a man of deep theology and deep love. He loved people with the truth, and the truth stirred love in his heart. So let's just reflect on this first mark of a kingdom-minded Christian. They have a heart for people and give strong support to the ministry of others. And let's just ask ourselves, how are we doing in this area of our Christian lives? Could you be described as a kingdom-minded Christian? Well, let's move on to the second mark then we see in the conclusion of the letter of a kingdom-minded Christian. Mark number two. A kingdom-minded Christian is one who takes an interest in kingdom work, both within their local church, but also beyond their local church. In verses seven to nine, look at how Paul emphasizes the work he's given Tychicus and Onesimus to do. Verse one, Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. Verse 8, I've sent him to you that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Verse 9, Onesimus and Tychicus will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Now, this is a really simple observation. Paul assumes that the Colossians will be interested in and encouraged about what they hear is going on outside their own local church. That's really simple observation. But Paul assumes that the Colossians are going to be interested in what's going on outside of their own church. And that they're going to be really encouraged when they hear of kingdom advancement outside their own church. Here is, I believe, another mark of maturity in a local church and in individual Christian lives. We work to grow and mature ourselves as disciples and as a center for discipleship in the city center. Yes, absolutely. But we must also work hard as Christians and as a church to take an interest in kingdom work beyond the walls of this church. Again, Paul stands as a real example for us here. Why in verses 12 to 13 do you think he shares the information with the Colossians that Epaphras is praying for them? Why does he exhort Archippus in verse 17 to fulfill his ministry in Colossa? Because he wants to encourage the Colossians. And remember, Paul, as far as we know, had never even met the Colossians. In chapter 1, we read that he heard about what was happening in Colossae through Epaphras and the report that he brought. But as far as we know, at this point in writing, Paul has not met the Colossians. But with the authority 
of one of the early church apostles. He's heard of what's going on in Colossae. He's heard there's been a move of the gospel. He's heard that there's a gathering of young Christian believers, as in young in their faith, gathering in the city. And his heart is encouraged and stirred. And so he writes this letter to encourage them because he wants to give strong support to gospel ministry wherever he can. Paul wants to remind this little fledgling Colossian church, you're not alone in your work. You are part of something far bigger. Remember he wrote to them in chapter 1 verse 6, I think it was, the gospel has come to you, but it's also increasing and bearing fruit across the world. He wants the Colossians to know, you're not alone in Colossae. There are others who are interested praying for you, cheering you on. This is something we should seek to do more. To think through intentionally how we can both support strongly the work that's going on in our own church, but also seek to intentionally reach out to, encourage, and give strong support to kingdom ministry going on elsewhere. What might it look like for us to do that? That's a key question. And I have four suggestions for how we might be able to become a bit more kingdom-minded and connected as a church. It's already happening in many ways, which is really encouraging. But here are ways that perhaps we can do so more and more. Number one, find ways to encourage others who are ministering in places where they could easily be forgotten. We're part of an association of churches, the Association of Baptist Churches in Ireland. Over 100 churches we associate with in a formal way, and those churches are scattered all across this island. I would really want to encourage us to be more active in seeking to intentionally encourage new church plants, or small churches in the south of Ireland. You think of it. Northern Ireland, one of the greatest concentrations of evangelical churches in the English-speaking world, the Republic of Ireland, said to be the least evangelical country in the English-speaking world. And this big invisible border between Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland, that, that seems to hinder our burden for the whole of Ireland. To stir us up in this a little bit, I wrote this week to three friends of mine who are pastors of small church plants in the south of Ireland. I thought this might give us a bit of a live feel like what it must have been in the early church when there were reports coming from Colossa and from Laodicea and Hierapolis and they were writing to encourage each other, getting prayer requests for each other. I thought, let's just hear this morning from three pastors in three little church plants, just like the Colossian church plant, but these three guys are planting churches in the south of Ireland, part of our association of Baptist churches. The three guys are Shane Dean, who's a great fellow who's planted Passage West Baptist Church down in County Cork, Richard McConnell, who's planted Black Rock Church in Dublin, and Joel Marcus, who's planted Belturbet Baptist from Cavan Baptist uh, down there just across the border. So I wrote to Shane and said, Shane, here's what we're, I'm trying to do, trying to encourage our brothers and sisters at Great Vic to continue to think well about how we can be more engaged in work. So could you send me through a few prayer points that would help us? 
Shane writes, thank you for your interest in Passage Baptist. We had some newcomers over the summer months. Pray that they'd stay connected to us. Please pray for us as we prepare to resume a Friday night Bible study, youth club and kids club. We have a number of local unbelievers who attend the study. Pray that God would save them. So there's a brother down working in a really isolated place in Passage West down in County Cork. And they're meeting right now this morning with a very small group of believers, but with a heart to see the gospel advance in that part of Cork. And we could be more connected and we could pray and we could encourage them. Second person, Richard McConnell, Black Rock Community Church, Dublin. He spoke here at our missionary weekend a few years ago. I studied with him in Trinity in Chicago. He's from, uh, uh, he's from Oma, near Oma. What do you call it? Uh, Fintna, Fintna, County Throne. Um, he's a great, great fella. He writes, Dear Great Victoria Street Baptist Church family, hello from Black Rock, Dublin. Since 2019, the Lord has been planting a new church here, and we have watched the work getting established. Please join us in praying particularly about a few things. A few families who were committed to the church since 2019 have had to relocate away from Dublin because of work and housing needs. This is particularly hard-hitting for a young, small church. Pray that other families will be able to stay in Dublin despite the expense and housing issues. Please pray also for our community involvement and outreach with the gospel. Pray that the Lord will help us share the gospel in the school community. We meet at a local secondary school and pray for the wider area. We are also conscious more than ever that children and young people are uniquely challenged in schools and colleges where there is outright hostility to Christ. We are opposed. Pray that we as a church will support them and will counsel young people in this. Pray for Elevate, our youth group. We desperately need more leaders for Friday evenings. Then Joel Marcus from Bell Turbot Baptist, who also, I think, spoke at one of our missionary weekends a couple of years back. Hey, Steve, Joel here. Thanks for the message. Only too glad to share some prayer points. Our regular ministries are restarting again after the summer. Pray that people would come along and engage with God's word. We're starting a youth ministry from mid-September. Pray that all the youth we have contact with will come along. Pray that we as God's people will shine brightly and speak boldly for Jesus in our community. So there are three little reports from three guys who are involved in planting little churches there in different parts of Ireland. You could go onto their Facebook page or get an email address or get information from the Insight Baptist magazine and you could write to them and encourage them and say, we were thinking of you today in church. We're, we're, in, we're, we're, we're struggling with you in prayer that your church would become mature and fully assured in the will of God. That's the kind of kingdom-minded connectedness we want to foster. I had a friend recently who pastors a church here in Northern Ireland. He said, every church in Northern Ireland that is in any way partially strong should intentionally be partnering with a church in the South to support them, encourage them, help them with resources and personnel. I just stared with me. I thought, wow, we have to get get that invisible border out of our mind, evangelistically speaking, and we've got to see our responsibility to keep finishing the work 
of bringing the gospel to bear in every county in Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland. So there's one way that we could be more kingdom connected, kingdom minded and kingdom connected. Find ways to encourage others who are ministering in places where they could easily be forgotten or feel forgotten. Second way, take seriously your work, your personal responsibility for praying for and encouraging missionaries. Shane will be back soon from Portugal. Take it upon yourself personally to take an interest in his work and to encourage him. Get prayer letters. Concentrate on a few missionaries in your lifetime and support them well. I remember a couple in Cambridge who were like hungry dogs getting a stake whenever they received a prayer letter. This lovely elderly couple in Cambridge, they would get a prayer letter and honestly would just devour it. They used to love getting prayer letters from missionaries that they could just pray through every bit of it. It was like what they, they were called to. They just loved it. Let's take more seriously our responsibility to do this. Mission-minded Christians should never be just a few people in the church. Every Christian should be a mission-minded Christian because God is a mission-minded God. Our missionary weekend is on the 15th and 16th of October. There'd be another chance for you to hear information about what's going on across the persecuted church, to hear ways that you can be more kingdom-minded, more connected, get more information so that you can pray well. So if you want to be more kingdom-minded connected, find those ways to get information from people working in isolated places. Second, take seriously your work of praying for and encouraging missionaries. Three, attend your church's missionary weekend whenever it's on, where possible. Four, try to rejoice in genuine kingdom work. And don't let denominational divisions make you forget that we're part of a great work right across this city and this land and the world. Here's the shocking way to say what I'm trying to say this morning. Let's become more Catholic. Now, don't shoot me down for saying that in the heart of Belfast here in Northern Ireland. I didn't say become Roman Catholic. I said let's become Catholic. What does that mean? It was a term first coined in the second century by an early church leader, Ignatius of Antioch. It's from a Greek word, katholikos, which means according to the whole. It's used throughout church history to speak of the universal church. Not just Great Victoria Street Baptist Church, but to think of our brothers meeting in Great Victoria Street Presbyterian Church. We may think differently on certain things, but if we believe the fundamentals of the gospel, we are brothers and sisters in a family, part of the one church of Jesus Christ in the city of Belfast, on the island of Ireland, in the world. One church, one faith, one baptism, one Lord, over all, through all, in all. We speak of this as the Catholicity of the church. It has been used to speak of the universal church of Jesus Christ. At the end of the Nicene Creed of 381, here is how the early church made a statement to reflect this. I believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins, and I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. 
Though we gather with like-minded Christians in denominations, we are part of the one church of Jesus Christ that is universal and that spans the globe. Those who are confessional, who believe in the fundamentals of the gospel, though we may differ between denominations on baptism, church government, how to organize ourselves, the one true apostolic church of Jesus Christ agrees on the apostolic doctrine laid down for us in the New Testament. Let's pray, therefore, for our brothers and sisters in Great Vic Presbyterian Church, in the Crescent, the Elam and Donegal Pass, a revitalization work that has been going on in May Street Presbyterian. I'm sure some of you probably remember May Street and Berry Street when it, like Great Victoria Street Baptist Church, was bunged on Sunday. Let's pray that the Lord would revive his work in other churches. Let's continue to pray for churches like Whitewell. Let's pray for the Reformed Presbyterians, the Brethren Halls, the Methodists. Let's pray for genuine renewal in the Roman Catholic churches around us and Church of Ireland churches. Let's pray for the CUs, for churches in the south of Ireland, churches across the nations. Let's be kingdom-minded, kingdom-connected Christians. We are in a great work together. So, these marks of kingdom-minded Christians. Number one, those who have a heart for and appreciation of other people. Number two, we are those who take an interest in kingdom work both within our local church and beyond our local churches. Then the third mark, finally, of a kingdom-minded Christian is we are open to receive blessing from outside of ourselves and we are keen to share blessing outside of ourselves. I simply see this again in Paul's heart to encourage those in Colossa and also his request for prayer from the Colossians. In verse 8, he sent Tychicus and Onesimus to encourage the Colossians' hearts. He wants to encourage and build into those outside of his own fold. We also see Paul and his desire elsewhere to gather financial support from certain churches to help other needy churches. Clear association. He wanted to encourage and support genuine works of God wherever he saw them but he also knew that he needed to receive support and help from other churches, as we've seen in this letter and elsewhere across the New Testament. In fact, those closing words of verse 18, when he says to the Colossians, remember my chains, that's a request that they would pray for him. Because remember, he's writing this letter in prison. And how selfless and subtle and humble to just quietly insert it there at the end of the letter. Remember my chains. Paul didn't see churches as independent little islands, impervious to giving and receiving from others. He saw association and connectivity. Local autonomy, yes. Local association, yes. Mutual kingdom partnership for the glory of Christ's church. And we, way throughout the years, long before I ever came to Great Vic, This has been a church that has seen that kind of blessing both inside, 
receiving blessing from outside and sending those out to bless others outside. It is a wonderful thing. Just a while back, I announced that a church in America, Crossway Community Church in Wisconsin, were giving us a gift of $50,000 to help encourage us in our building work. There's an expression of what I'm talking about. Most of our brothers and sisters at Crossway in Wisconsin have never met us. And yet with kingdom-minded connectedness, they said, we're in it with you. That is wonderful. Another church in the States is committed to supporting us to provide a pastoral internship over the next while. There are some others who are expressing interest and asking me, how can we help and support your ministry? We have received so much. And we are called not just to receive, but also to pass blessing out from within. We must be involved in giving generously at a church, as a church. Think carefully how we can be involved in more external giving to support our people. Nicola, for example. Nicola, is this your last Sunday with us? Or do you, this is your last Sunday with us. Nicola's going out to study, to be more equipped as a missionary, ready to serve the Lord. That's wonderful. There's someone going out from among us. We can get behind her, support her, encourage her in this kingdom-minded connectivity. Shane praying and exploring now his desire to go long-term in Portugal. He's going to be back soon. He needs, I know, a team of prayer supporters and more financial supporters. Let's get behind him. Could we, in the future as a church, be a church that gives to support a worker in the south of Ireland, to support someone like Richard there in Dublin and the work in Black Rock? Could we send workers? Could you go and, and work down there? Partly, I know, as elders, we want to keep, we want to keep you all and, and grow here, but it's a mark of a healthy church to be sending your best. You know what, Christmas, I don't know if you all know this, we were asked by Shankill Baptist Church if we could send a group of musicians over to help them with a carol service. They didn't have the, the people to be able to do that. And you know, it did my heart the world of good because I remember, it wasn't so long ago, where we were getting help to run a holiday Bible club from Newton Breed Baptist. And what an encouragement that we were able to send a group of, of musicians over and they helped with the carol service and I got a call the next day from Clifford Morrison who was there helping that church out in that time and he said it was such a blessing and such an encouragement to have the folks from Great Vic there. I wonder, could we be used to see revitalization happen in other churches around Belfast? I wonder, could we be used to see a church or a witness or a Bible study established in the markets area in Belfast? I wonder, could we be renowned for being a supporting, encouraging, just externally generous church? That has been the tone and character of this church down through the years. Let's keep making this part of the culture of this church. But it starts here with each of us individually taking seriously our role first in our local church, committing to see us grow stronger and stronger and be a healthy center of discipleship in the city. But we don't just stop there. We say, right, that's my role with my local church. But also we as a local church, we want to be kingdom-minded and connected. How can we do that more? That's the question I'm praying and asking the Lord about at the moment. Can we do more to each become responsible for what we're called to be as a church here? 
Can we each be responsible for being kingdom-minded, connected Christians more and more? Thinking of how we can encourage our brothers and sisters in smaller, isolated settings across the island. Can we do more to foster kingdom-mindedness here among us at Great Vic so that we would be less and less denominationally focused and more and more kingdom of Christ focused? This is another mark of a mature church. Receiving blessing from the universal church and contributing blessing to the universal church. So may those who come into here and go out from here, may they be blessed, but may they carry blessing and our vision of the kingdom beyond the walls of this local church to the glory of God. And for this, we need grace. And so Paul closes this letter in the same way he started, grace be with you. O Colossians, as you gather in your pagan city, as you become rooted and established in him and built up in him and as you mature, may you become a disciple, a a center for discipleship in Colossae. May you receive blessing and give out blessing. For that, you need grace. May grace be with you for this great mission that we are all involved in. It's as if Paul closes with those words saying, remember, we are in this together. The grace that has saved us binds us together, and it is the grace that will sustain us and empower us in the kingdom work that Christ has called us to. Let us all be part of the Christ who said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this wonderful conclusion to this letter. After exhorting the believers to grow and mature as disciples, in the last section, he's really, Paul has really lifted his, his head up and, and said to the Colossians, remember, we've got a mission to make disciples. Remember, we're part of something bigger than just, just that little church in Colossa. You've got people outside here praying for you, supporting you, cheering you on, and, and you will be encouraged as you hear what's going on. And now we, in light of this, hear our calling to remember that we, as a local church in the city of Belfast, we are also part of something that's far bigger than us. We're part of Christ's universal church. And please, Father, create in us a healthy balance so that we would never neglect our place in the local church, but that we would take that seriously, but also cultivate a kingdom heart where we're looking to the work that you are doing, God, in other places and in other lands. And we're involved in it through prayer, through financial support. We're involved through actually trying to encourage those involved in that work. Father, help us to be the kingdom-minded, connected Christians that we see in the New Testament. Help us to reflect that reality again. May your grace be with us as we do this. And for anyone that is still outside of that fold and they don't know this wonderful grace in Christ, 
Lord, we pray that some of the truths of this wonderful book again would penetrate their hearts, that Christ has loved us and paid our debt on the cross through his death and has risen again to give us new life and to bring us into this glorious kingdom. Father, thank you for our part in your work. Help us to give ourselves to this, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're going to respond by standing together and praying this prayer that is a call for the church to rise up, put their armor on, and to hear the call of Christ, our captain. Let's stand and sing together. Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen.